Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Does your tight schedule prevent you from sitting down with your Bible? Do you sometimes find the Bible confusing? The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. It's hosted by Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Pastor Will Whedon. Learn more at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. An evangelical and Catholic podcast, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Todd Haynes is an academic editor at Lexham Press, whose books we've covered often here on the podcast. His new book bears the title, Martin Luther and the Rule of Faith, Reading God's Word for God's People. That's our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Haynes. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's good to be here. You open with a problem, a problem that plagued Martin Luther that you put put into the little statement, Scripture against Scripture. What is that problem? Yeah, that's a great problem. Um, <laughs> so Luther is fundamentally is worried about how do you know what Scripture says? Hmm. Who is the authoritative interpreter? Is it a human? Is it a person according to their office? Is it the Bible? That was his big worry. He had been confronted in his lifetime with things that he thought the Bible meant, and people squelched him with other things outside of the tradition, say. So, for example, uh, the big one for Luther is the forgiveness of sins. He asked, what does it mean for my sins to be forgiven? The Bible says that neither gold nor silver, but the blood of Jesus is what forgives my sin. And so he felt a lot of pangs of conscience that he was being asked to do some other things. So that's really the problem that he's, and he's thinking also about sort of the dark nights of the soul, worry and and pain. So when you, at night, roll over things that are upsetting your conscience, And think, yeah, I really am not good enough. I'm not good enough or worthy enough for God to love me and God to care for me. And so that's part of what he's thinking too. So he has a very provocative statement in uh, a disputation where he says, if somebody argues the Bible against Jesus, abandon Scripture and argue Jesus against Scripture. And so here he's trying to say, this is what Scripture is for. Romans 15.4, Scripture is for your encouragement and your comfort and your hope. Sometimes that means that your, your conscience is going to be pricked, but that ultimately this is the goal that God's Word goes towards. It's encouragement, comfort, the good news that God who made heaven and earth came as a child and died on a cross to give you life. And so that's really what he's trying to go for. So there's all this really complicated stuff, but it's a simple, yeah. simple outcome, a simple, small goal. You, you turn to his uh, attitude toward reason uh, mm-hmm. in another famous principle of his, reason in matters of faith, uh, much more complicated than blunt rejection, you say. Yeah. How mm-hmm. so? Yeah, so uh, in the book I treat this a little scholastically. Luther's hard with reason because, and this is true of him in general, he's very anecdotal. So Luther isn't out there giving you nuanced Um, phrases to say that like oh well I mean this sort of reason or I mean this sort of reason you really have to pick it up from who he's arguing with and who he's talking to but when you look through Luther's writings 
you can see that he has this grid to view reason through. So reason is a faculty of the human. It's just a faculty. Uh, it works well if you feed it well. If you feed it with bad stuff, it's not going to go well. So he's, and he's also asking, how does the faculty work? So is the faculty just looking at temporal matters, or is it looking at spiritual matters? And then he has this category of, has reason died to God's word? Has reason died to faith and been raised again? Or has it not been? So he talks about spiritual and temporal matters, regenerate and unregenerate reason. And so this is the grid that he's looking through. And really, the only time that he has bad things to say about reason is when unregenerate reason is reaching into spiritual matters. So he'll say things like, you can be a great parent and have unregenerate reason. You could be a great magistrate. You could be a great lawmaker. And so this is when he says really great things about Aristotle or Cicero. He's saying unregenerate reason in earthly matters is fine and good and necessary. But he has concerns when you take those, that sort of structure and reach into the depths of God's will. He says only God's word reveals that. So we need a reason that has died to God's word. You, you single out one particular section of Romans, the book of Romans, uh, book 12, letter to the Romans. Uh, what Paul says in, that, in, in those verses was very important to Luther. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what was the content of it, and why, why did he find that so compelling? Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, Romans 12, verse 6, is, it's the list of gifts that Paul gives. And here he's saying, if you've been given the gift of prophecy... He's giving you the sort of the rule. How do you know you're using this gift correctly? And he says, use it according to the faith. Modern translations in English can kind of cover this up a little bit. They add the personal pronoun, your faith, which hmm. isn't really there. And so Luther, he often talks about the analogy of faith because it's the closest to Paul's very words in Greek. But today we could think of it just as rule of faith as well. That's really what he's he's talking about. And Luther, in a lot of ways, isn't, this isn't a unique thing. The whole tradition, if you go and you look at the, um, the Glossa, <laughs> the Glossa Ordinaria, you'll see lots of comments on Romans 12, 6, where they're saying very similar things to Luther. So he's really fixated on this passage. Um, and the, the reason that he's fixated on it is, again, how do I know what Scripture really says? And I, I think the way to really kind of prick that problem is that most people in his congregation are illiterate. They can't go and read the Bible. And so when the pastor stands up and preaches a sermon, or say they change the, the divine service, the people don't know, <laughs> did they change it according to the Bible? What does this mean? And so that's really the fundamental question that he's after, is how do simple, illiterate people no, this really is God speaking. Uh, this is a side question. You, you, mm-hmm. you talk about Luther as uh, wanting a simple creed for a simple folk. Uh, how effective was he as, as a preacher? Do we, do we have a lot of accounts of him preaching to simple folk and, mm-hmm. and uh, carrying it off very nicely? Yeah, yeah. We have a, a huge amount of Luther's preaching. So he preached something like 6,000 sermons in his lifetime. <laughs> we have about 
I'm, and maybe I'm fudging the numbers now. It, we have about 2,000 of them. Um, people did start recording them, especially after 1522, when he really rises to fame. So we can go and look. The, the records are kind of funny. It's this mishmash of German and Latin. So it is a hard thing to wade through. And things that Luther likes to say, whoever's transcribing, they will cover it with a etc. So one of the interesting things is when Luther's talking about the rule of faith, often it's masked in this, the Ten Commandments, etc. The rule, uh, the Apostles' Creed, etc. So he's, he's an academic, so you'll see all over the spot. There are times that he's probably not landing as well with his audience as he could. But you'll see he's not really using technical terminology. He'll talk about things like the hypostatic union of Jesus, but he's not using those terms. He's trying to find different ways. So that's where he'll say, he has these famous phrases like, um, who is your God? The baby nursing at Mary's breast. Who is your God? The man dying on the cross. So these are richly Chalcedonian phrases that if you know Chalcedon, you know all the complexity that's going into that very tight statement. But if you don't know Chalcedon, you're just like, wow, that's awesome. That's what a wondrous <laughs> thing. Um, and then there, there are anecdotes where he's talking at like the table talk that uh, he, did, he did take notes. So he would write down like 15 words and he'd go up with his paper hmm. and stand there. And sometimes he said, you know, I totally forgot my outline and I went somewhere else. And he's like, but now, I'm, you know, the people are leaving and some simple peasant comes up to Luther and he's like, wow, today, that was quite a sermon. You haven't preached like that in a long time. Hmm. So hmm. you see... There, there's a friendliness, and, and you, you see that in his sermons. He does all this dialogue. When Satan comes and says this to you, you say back to Satan, hey, go talk to Jesus. He's got my sin. Yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, I yeah. think he's a very effective preacher, and I often think about what he's doing. It's been a huge consolation to me. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am without having studied Luther's sermons <laughs> because of huh. a certain piece of my life. Huh. You know, you talked about uh, Luther trying to figure out what does Scripture really say. Uh, you say that some of this depends upon one's conception of prophecy. Of prophecy, very important idea to, to Luther. How did he conceive of prophecy? Yep, Luther's super classic on this. Again, you go and look at the spots in the Glossa Ordinaria, for example, the, uh, the big shared medieval Bible. And you're going to see he's going to talk about general prophecy and special prophecy. So special prophecy is, is the weird stuff. Um, you know, dreams, angels coming and talking to you, that sort of thing. And then uh, general prophecy is proclaiming God's word. Hmm. So this is, uh, today prophets are still with us. When you go to church and you hear your pastor preach, your pastor is a prophet. They're proclaiming God's word. Or when you go and you hear somebody preach, teach on the Bible, that's a prophet. So long as they're doing this according to the faith. If they distort the Bible to mean something other than what the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer mean, we have a false prophet. So that's, that's really where he's going. And, and he's testing both of these things by the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' yeah. Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. Well, th those three you, you bring out, he calls the catechism, quote, the touchstone, and another quote, the true cubit. Is it all there in the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the, and the Our Father? Is, is, is it really, it's, it's all there? Yeah. I mean, so that, <laughs> he, you know, he would add, of course, with the, the catechism, he would also add the sacraments. You know, he will say that. He's just inconsistent in his numbering. 
Yeah. And some of it is that um, when he teaches these things, he's saying, hey, we can't even talk about the sacraments if you don't know the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. You have to understand those things before we talk about baptism and communion. He's not saying you have to understand those things before you are baptized, yeah. in the case of, say, infants. Um, but he's saying if we want to talk cognitively about these things, you have to know about these others. And in a lot of ways, the sacraments are embedded into, I believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, the second yeah. article. Um, and in there, he's agreeing with the great tradition of the Catholic Church. You know, yeah. So uh, if you go and you look at Joseph Ratzinger's sidelights on the Catechism of the Catholic Church, or he wrote a book, uh, Introduction to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he brings there where he says, this is how all catechesis is done. Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Sacraments. Yeah. And at one point, yeah. he actually says, I, I can't quite find this. He even says, we should have done a really small catechism like Luther's because yeah. it's so wieldy. So it's big. It's big. Mm -hmm. went, went through a whole, <laughs> whole, whole thing. But yeah. uh, when, when he says that the Lord's Prayer, does it imply the whole Sermon on the Mount? Or he really means just, just the Lord's Prayer? That's a great question. That would be an interesting thing to explore a little more. I don't, I don't know that I could definitively answer. I mean, he really is saying the Our Father because part of this, yeah. what he's doing is these are lay people that now they have an, these folks had an amazing memory, just like we would if we didn't have social media and all these distractions. So he's, um, he's trying to give them specific set words. Memorize just these words. And so that's where he's really like, just memorize the Our Father. He'll even be more extreme with the, the catechism to say, it's all in, I am the Lord your God mm. who brought you out of slavery. Mm. He's like, that's the whole thing. That's the whole Bible. Mm. Um, mm. So he'll do he, this with, oh, sorry, go on. He, he calls the Our Father the, quote, prayer of prayers. Mm -hmm. In what sense? The prayer of prayers. He's saying this is the pinnacle. All other prayers are in are held together somehow in this. You could, you could pray it long, you could pray it a different sort of short, but he's saying it's all right here. And the other thing is that it's given to us by our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he'll say to interpret the Lord's Prayer is to darken it, which is a fascinating thing. Hmm. To add human words to the Lord's Prayer is not to illumine, but it's to try to bring... So he, the, the other metaphor that he's using here is that God's Word is light. Humans are darkness. And so he's constantly trying to submit the person, our reason, our feelings to God's word and let God's word interpret us. So where he would say, you know, if I go and try to explain the Lord's Prayer in my own words, it's like if I try to grab darkness and hold it over a lamp. Hmm. So he says, let Jesus say what this means. Let the Holy Spirit interpret God's word because God's word brings you all of the Trinity. God is present in his word. He yeah. will interpret it. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Yeah, yeah, the Ten Commandments are, 
are not the only part of the Old Testament that is deeply important to Luther. You talk about the sacrifice of Isaac mm -hmm. that Luther interpreted not so much as a story of obedience, but of temptation. How so? Yeah, it's the temptation to believe is God really true to his word. So, you know, here Abraham has been given this word that I will bless you and I will bless all nations through your family. But then here, all of a sudden, God comes and says, hey, yeah, now you, you got the kid. You've, you've done it. And now I want you to sacrifice this child. And so the temptation is, for Abraham to ask, will God keep his promise? Mm -hmm. And so what's striking there that Luther does is he interprets this according in part to Hebrews, but he's also just doing this with the faith. That he's like, well, Abraham believed the faith that we believe. He believes in the resurrection of the dead. And so he's, you know, he's not pleased and excited about sacrificing his son. But this is the temptation. Will God keep his promise? And so... Mm -hmm. Luther actually says, well, you know, Moses kind of condenses this. There's a, there's a thing here where uh, Moses and, and Isaac, they talk about the resurrection of the dead and that God will keep his promise and that maybe that's what it means, that he'll raise him from the dead. Oh, yeah. Another piece of the Old Testament, Psalm 72. Uh, Luther, you say, lectured and pre preached on this particular psalm. Uh, a bit. What was the significance of, of Psalm 70? Maybe tell us, tell us the content of the psalm and what it meant to Luther. Yeah, Psalm 72, it's, uh, I think of it often as an epiphany psalm. It is kind of tied to the three kings and that feast. Um, <laughs> in part, the reason that I, I picked it for the book is I had to have <laughs> enough material to sort of go over. And so he had done late in life I think it's a six-part series on Psalm 72, and that's why I was especially interested in it. Um, <laughs> and I'm hoping it's not escaping me as much as I think it is. I, I, I'm, I'm catching up. So the thing that, that struck me, there's so much that he's covering in this, but there's two points that really stand out to me. Uh, Dear in the sight of the Lord is the blood of the saints. He says some really remarkable things there where... I don't even, actually, I don't know if I put this in the book. But he says, uh, all Christian preaching is the same. So right now, today, somebody in India, and he actually says India, they're, they're preaching Psalm 72 as well. And you know what? It's the same content. They're saying the same thing because we believe one, one faith, one baptism. And I just, I love that, that, that he does that with it. Um, I thought it was, and, and he has some really wonderful things about going through the martyrs. He likes to talk about St. Agnes and Agatha in particular. He does that there. But then the other high point in Psalm 72 that he preaches on is the wink at Gideon, which I'm not going to think of the exact phrasing. It's something about dew on the grass, which a modern translation might do. Yeah, they do dew on the grass. He takes grass, that word in Latin and Hebrew can also mean um, fleece. So he takes it as a reference to Gideon. So he spends a lot of time talking about the great promises that God has given, gave to Gideon, this upside-down victory. Gideon defeats three armies of these powerful foes, not with a big army, but with 300 mere men. 
not with swords, but with their voice and with light. Hmm. And when Gideon's army shouts, the, ar- the three armies, they kill each other. And so Luther's like, well, this is just like what Jesus does. He preaches the word. <laughs> and because he died on the cross, sin, death, and the devil defeat themselves by trying to, to devour Jesus. Hmm. And so he's like, this is what preaching always looks like, is that sin, death, and the devil turn in on themselves and kill each other, just like Gideon's opponents did. Hmm. Hmm. Takes me to Paradise Lost, sin, death, and and and, and Satan. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. in is a book when he when he leaves hell on his mission and he runs mm-hmm. runs into the two of them. They're, they're a little family there. Yeah. It's, it's this it's a demonic anti holy family that. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 but but I, Milton must have taken that from from the Gideon. I, I wonder if he took from. Um, it could be. I mean, it could just it could be a be. wider. I think this is something that's lost in in modern American Christianity. We just don't think super well about these things. I think we're a little scared. And then you know the tradition really talks about these three things as demons. Yeah. In a certain sense, and they're breaking the ways that we think of demons because you know powers, etc. But yeah, that's, you know, hell is death's house. Yeah. And who lives in death's house? Well, the master of death's house is Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the the true lord of sin, death, and the devil, or of, of the, this is another thing Luther will say, is that Jesus is the lord of death. He, you know, Satan's got to answer to him. And, yeah. uh, and Jesus defeated him. This is right. wonderful, great news. Uh, I, I was going to also ask you about Isaiah Book Nine, but let me jump to the to the New Testament with mm-hmm. Luther, yeah. and it is there the most important uh, uh, text for him, or one of the most important is Luke twenty four. What does Luke twenty four say, and what does Luther take from it? Yeah, so Luke twenty four, Luther's especially interested here in the road to Emmaus. The two disciples that the tradition says it's uh, it's Luke and one of Luke's buddies. I'm not thinking of who the buddy was right now, but anyway, the two of them they're trotting along, and here Jesus shows up, but they don't realize it's Jesus. And instead of this is where I think Luther's. I mean, it is a weird thing that Jesus doesn't right away say, "Hey, it's me, guys." Uh, they're they're you know he asks them why are they sad, and they say well, we're sad because Jesus died. And we had, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. And so instead of revealing himself, Jesus again just trots through the Old Testament and is like, hey, this is what, the, this is what God has said about the Messiah. And then they go and they sit down and they have dinner. And in the breaking of the bread, they realize, oh, it's our Lord. <laughs> and then Jesus disappears. Mm. And I, Luther preaching on this is a lot of fun. So he uses it, uh, he preached on it so often because it's part of the one-year lectionary readings for Easter. Um, so sometimes he would do it on Easter, but Easter Monday and Easter Tuesday in particular, that was the, the reading. Mm-hmm. And so he has these just wonderful things to say about Jesus being, wor- being careful with the anxious and the, the guilty. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's like, Jesus didn't reveal himself right away because they weren't ready. They would have been scared. They would have felt guilty. And so here Jesus goes and preaches them the good news to -hmm. prepare them for seeing him so that they know this is our Lord and Savior who died for us, who came to us as a baby, not someone who's here 
as a, the old medieval image is a judge on a white horse with a sword. Hmm. Jesus is a judge, but for those who believe the gospel, this is good news. And so he does a lot of things there with expanding out, saying, you know, all we really need is the Old Testament. That's all Jesus needed to preach the gospel. And so and, he's and, doing a lot of things there. And so, so what might a mind uh, operating too strongly on reason uh, make of these texts erroneously? <laughs> what, what might reason yeah, do with question. them that, that, that Luther wouldn't like? Yeah, I think some of it is that, like, I guess I'll just say anecdotally, the way that I've seen this happen, like when I was going, to, going through my master's program in history, I would see folks in biblical studies try to say, well, Jesus isn't talking about the whole Testament. He's just talking about key passages, key messianic passages. But that's not what Luther's up to. He's saying all of God's word brings us God. And so all of God's word somehow is talking about God. So I think that's, that's one piece that we would see. I think the other thing that is a great temptation today is to say that somehow Jesus isn't literally interpreting the Old Testament, that he's doing some sort of allegory. Mm-hmm. And for Luther, that's to lose the game. Um, so one of the things that he says about the rule of faith, or about, sorry, about allegories, people, I'm going kind of on a side here, but people think that Luther hated allegories. Luther didn't hate allegories. He used them all the time. But he used them as a way, like a sermon illustration. Instead of using something from someone's life, he would take a Bible story and then illustrate the point. So he would say, that's how we use allegories. We interpret them according to the catechism. Um, But we don't prove doctrine based on allegory. So he said, any doctrine that's proved off allegory is, we need to find other ways. You have to have it in explicit scripture. And so he would be worried about the tendency today to want to separate the letter of the Old Testament from the letter of the New Testament Hmm. through an allegorical move because he would say that's to say that Christianity is false because the Old Testament isn't actually about Jesus. Hmm. So I think those are the the two he's he's wanting to say, really, it's all all here. And and the principle really is, as you, you put it, he puts it several times, is one must read the Bible... One's reading must be ruled, quote, according to the faith, according to the faith. That's such a simple phrase, but explain further, what, 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 what are the limits here? Yeah, so, well, I'll say part of what's behind this is Luther is part of this tradition that says, we don't read God's word and interpret it. God's word interprets us. That's part of what he's behind. Uh, is behind that statement. But when he says according to the faith there, often people just think of the faith as the faith which we believe, the Apostles' Creed. But Luther is is saying the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. That's what he means by that specific phrase. And so he's he's saying that's the whole thing. This is what faith, hope, and love is. Which faith? The Apostles' Creed. What love? The Ten Commandments. What hope? The Lord's Prayer. And this is the faith, Hmm. hope, and love of the Bible. So read it that way. And I, I think maybe back to a little bit to your unregenerate reason question, people will see this sort of as a closed circle. They're like, well, he's, it's eisegesis. He's assuming his conclusion. And Luther's like, if you don't read the Bible according to what it's about, <laughs> the faith, 
you're assuming the conclusion. Conclusion. You're going to come up with something else. And mm -hmm. so he'll have the, he has this great phrase that just as only Christians are made by the Bible, so also only heretics are made by the Bible. <laughs> Hmm. And right. it's that they're reading it incorrectly, that they're, they're not holding the right image in their mind. And yeah. so he's really, he's wanting to say, this is a book that reads you and interprets your life. So it's a mirror that shows your sin. Um, yeah. One thing I also like to talk about is I find, especially in public settings, when praying the Bible, I find that I get quite emotional. <laughs> yeah. I rarely don't cry. And it's drawing out some emotion and thing that I was concerned about that I didn't know about. But God's Word knew. And God's Word in, is interpreting my own life there. Um, so that's a piece of what he's getting at. Yeah. Last question, Todd. You say in your conclusion, Luther is a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, please explain that for us. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that is an interesting <laughs> statement, isn't it? So part of it, I think, is that uh, Luther's part of... Luther could have been part of what today, what we call the Roman Catholic Church, but Trent closed off some of those possibilities. And so that's a piece of what's going on. But he's a person that he saw himself as Catholic. Yeah. He saw himself as a faithful son of the church. Who gave him the catechism? The church. Who gave him the Bible? The church. Who gave him baptism? The church. Yeah. And so his concern was not to go start a new church. His concern really was to reform the Roman Catholic Church according to the Catechism. That's what he was seeking to do. There are all sorts of reasons that that didn't happen, um, and uh, complicated reasons too. I mean, Trent is really fascinating. It, it could have been otherwise. Yeah. So that's part of what he's saying, and that's, you'll see this also in the Book of Concord at the beginning. At the Book of Concord, the, the Lutherans there, they don't back off of calling themselves Catholic. <laughs> and that's the old phrase that they would use, we're evangelical Catholics. Yeah. Um, and so that's what they're, and, You'll see this in other ways. Uh, the worship that Lutherans follow or that Luther revised is so similar to the Western divine service. Yeah. But so yeah. that's Luther's Catholic according, according to the catechism. That's what he would want to say. That that's what true, that's what it is to be Catholic. The book is Martin Luther and the Rule of Faith, Reading God's Word for God's People. Todd Hain, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was very fun. All right. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.